0: everybody. James Shepard here with the Merchant Sales Podcast. Got a special episode for you today. I just did a uh, interview with Maverick Payments talking about high risk merchant accounts and how to build a high risk portfolio. Um, This particular live event was one of the most informative that I think I've ever been a part of. I even included the Q&A session at the end because the questions were awesome. The audience was great. And these questions were very specific things about high risk accounts that I did not cover during the event, um, and so I even left that in there. I just thought the whole thing was awesome. Um, I mentioned in here, but of course, Maverick is a sponsor. They were the sponsor of this particular event, but it was so educational. I wanted to share it. I also, right here at the beginning, want to share the uh, link to the ebook. It's a free ebook I did together with Maverick on high risk. It's ccsalespro.com/slash/high-risk. With that being said, let's dive into this live event replay, and I hope that you will gain a ton of knowledge about how high-risk accounts really work and how to build a high-risk merchant portfolio. Here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to just do a really quick uh, conversation with you about the opportunity as I see it today. Uh, then I'm going to introduce Ben Griefer from uh, Maverick. Uh, Maverick has incredible experience. I asked them to sponsor this event. I also asked them to work with me on an ebook. I'll go ahead and give you the URL. Oh, we still got people jumping in. Um, it is ccsalespro.com/slash high risk, and that's all lowercase, ccsalespro.com slash high risk. Uh, it's probably, uh, I'll warn you, it's probably one of the longest, maybe the longest ebook I've ever written, actually. Um, I worked with Maverick on this. It's just got so much practical information on how high risk works, right? What does it mean to be high risk? All the things we're going to talk about on the event today, um, that the ebook goes into a lot more detail on that. So again, if you stick around till the end, we'll talk more about that as well. But again, it's a free ebook that we did together, ccsalespro. dot slash high risk. All right, we're gonna go ahead and end this poll. Thank you everybody for participating in that one. Um, and uh, yeah, all right, here we go. So we're talking today about building a high risk portfolio, and so I want to just talk about a couple of things with you real quick here. So first of all, I want to redefine this idea of high risk, and of course, uh, we'll be talking more with Ben Griefer about that here in a little bit with the interview I'm going to do with him, um, and we'll do a Q&A at the end, by the way, as well, so there's a little Q&A, uh, during this, you know, little Q&A tab down there uh, that you'll see in Zoom, just click on that Q&A, you can enter your questions at any time, that's fine, we'll get to those at the end of the event. But I really want to redefine a little bit when we think about high risk, right? Today, we think about high risk in terms of, you know, it's got to be a a dispensary, um, you know, CBD. We think about, you know, these business types that are, you know, uh, what would be considered very high risk or businesses that have a huge number of chargebacks, adult entertainment, you know, these types of things. And while those are obviously high risk what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a much broader opportunity here where a lot of merchants now that maybe previously were considered low risk have now shifted into more of a medium risk. And so as we think about the, this opportunity, it's not just high risk. It's a, it's looking and saying, we need to understand risk better in our industry. And we need to use that knowledge and that, that expertise to go after different verticals, that we can target, right? And so this is a huge, huge opportunity. I could be honest with you guys, like when I started in the industry, um, you know, I would not have been able to answer that poll question, yes. I did not have a bunch of high-risk accounts. That's just not, well, that wasn't my specialty. And so it was really only after selling my last ISO uh, about seven years ago that I really started to get into the high-risk market and understand it better. And it's just an amazing opportunity because when I look at it, what I see is I see high volume, and high margin, right? And those two things you don't see very often. I mean, let's face it, even dual pricing, cash discounting, you know, surcharging, um, we really haven't seen huge adoption from these larger merchants, right? I mean, they're definitely out there, but the vast majority of the dual pricing type accounts where we're getting, you know, 150, 200 basis points of margin, most of those accounts are, you know, under $100,000 a month in volume, right? And again, I know there's exceptions, but that's been kind of the the, the general rule um, versus when you go to high risk, you've got so many merchants out there where there's, four or 500 basis points of margin on the merchant account. And this is a merchant that's doing, you know, $20 million a month in volume. You know, that's, those kind of numbers are out there. It's really crazy to see some of these huge high risk accounts and just how profitable they can uh, really be. So it's an amazing opportunity for you to go after these medium to high risk. A couple of other trends I want to talk about. Three things I wanted to to just mention today before we start the interview here with, uh, with Ben. So the first one is, um, Card not present. So I was saying how we need to redefine high risk a little bit because we have kind of this idea of a larger opportunity of understanding risk and then using that expertise to go after certain verticals. Well, one of the biggest things we have to look at is certain businesses that were low risk before have now shifted more towards card not present, right? The entire market is shifting card not present. Look at what Visa did with their their interchange and the way that they they changed the interchange categories to charge more for card not present and to charge a little bit less for card present. Why did they do that? Two reasons. One, the whole market is shifting to card not present and they want to make more money. But secondly, because card not present does represent a higher probability of fraud and all of those types of things, right? And so um, I think our industry, those of you that are on here, um, as a general rule, I would say, card not present is probably our kind of weak area right so um let's see here i wanted to go back let me i'm gonna make one other poll real quick here okay so this is going to be the cnp poll so give me one second here so here's the question i want to ask everybody on here and you'll see this poll pop up on your screen in one second um and that question is um let's see here we'll say what percentage is card not present. So what percentage of your book is card not present? So give me one second. We'll pop it up on the screen. So we're going to say less than 10%. And then we're going to say 10% to 50%. And then we're going to say 50, 50% plus, so we'll say 51% plus. All right. So let's save this and we're going to go ahead and launch it. So what do you think? What percentage is card not present? What percentage of your portfolio right now is card not present? This will be an interesting poll uh, to take a look at here, right? So, less than ten percent, ten percent to fifty percent, fifty-one percent plus. Um, interesting. Okay, yeah. So we've got some interesting numbers here. So we actually have about um, about a third, twenty-nine percent of of the people the attendees today less than ten percent. Um, is going to be uh, card.present. And then uh, another third, it looks like, is 10% to 50%. So more than 10%, less than 50. And then about a third are 51% plus, right? So... Um, Right. So, you know, again, it's about a third, a third and a third there. And I think what's interesting about this is where is the opportunity at today? Right. Where is the where's the volume shifting as far as payment processing? Well, clearly it's shifting towards card not present. Right. And so what I think is interesting is. I find very few merchant services reps where, you know, they would say greater than let's say 80 or 90% of their portfolio is card not present, meaning that's their primary focus. But again, card not present is where it's at. But if we're going to go after card not present, we're going to have to get a better understanding of risk because card not present businesses tend to have a higher risk profile than card present businesses. Okay. What's next? I got, I have two other ones. I want to mention real quick. The next one here is payment acceptance. Now, The reason I have this down here is that there's this fundamental shift in understanding high risk merchants. So again, we have the the medium risk merchants, which are card not present, but then we have these high risk merchants and what, you know, one of the, one of the key differentiating factors to identify a high risk merchant is a merchant where just being able to accept card payments is a potential challenge for them. Okay. In other words, there are certain standards that the card brands have and rules and rules that the banks have as far as who is even able to accept Visa and MasterCard transactions. And if your chargeback numbers are too high or there's certain reputational risk and things that we're going to talk to Ben about in a minute, you simply cannot accept payments. And so a lot of people that get into um, high risk and they're like, how does this work? Why why would a merchant pay? I saw a statement, um, just like last week, I saw a statement, merchant was doing probably half a million dollars a month in, in volume. And they were priced at about 7%. That was their effective rate was 7%. And it was funny because it came through um, ISO amp. And one of my team members just, you know, thought it would be, they wanted to show me it. And, you know, it's funny because the user was not somebody that normally sells high risk. And so they got this statement and they thought they hit the jackpot. You know what I mean? They were like, whoa, this merchant's get 7%. I'm going to price them at interchange plus 300 basis points and save them, you know, thousands of dollars. Um, what they didn't understand is that this particular merchant had tons of chargebacks. And so I looked at the statement and instantly, you know, on the, on the second page, they have the, the chargeback report, you know, and I'm like, Oh, that's a high risk merchant. You know, I looked at the business type. It wasn't good. You know? Um, and so, you know, we put the in, in the notes and we sent the statement out like, Hey, just so you know, this is a high risk merchant, be careful. Um, I doubt that that agent was even able to place that merchant with their current processor, unless they're working with somebody like Maverick. Um, and so, you know, you got to understand that the issue is these merchants, they're just they want to be able to accept payments, and oftentimes, again, it's card not present, so they have to be able to take card payments even to operate and do business. So it's just a very different value proposition to understand going after these high risk businesses. Many of them are just looking to be able to accept payments and not get their merchant account itself declined or blacklisted or you know cut off. Um, and so that's just a very, very different experience. So, again, we've got these. The medium risk, which is, again, that card not present idea. And just that also goes to high risk as well. But just thinking about card not present, then we're going to be thinking about um, payment acceptance, right? And this idea of going after these high risk merchants where they just want to be able to accept payments. And then we have the idea of um, integrated payments. Now, this is another one that I think is really important for us to understand. And that is with high risk, historically, the high risk merchant, um, you know, business has really been far behind on the technology side, and we're going to talk to Ben about that. But both on um, from the ISO agent perspective, but then also from the merchant perspective, and so a lot of these high risk merchants, because they've been so desperate to like, man, we just got to be able to take payments, you know what I mean? They're like, oh hey, we'll use whatever, we'll key stuff into a virtual terminal, we'll do you know whatever, and now. Um, as that market is progressing, what's happening is the ISV market that's vertical specific, these software companies going after specific verticals, they are now starting to realize, wait a second, there's an opportunity here with high risk where we can actually build software to help these companies run their business and integrate the payment processing. And they're working with companies like Maverick. And so I think this is important for you to understand because again, as we move forward the next five to 10 years, hopefully all of you are thinking about how you're going to do the software play, right? Are you going to get some strategic partnerships? Are you going to, some of you are larger, you're going to buy an, your own ISV or you're going to build something, to hire a developer and build a little application to help out. Um, doesn't have to be super extensive. You know, you may have a little vertical you want to go after and just build a little bit of a beefed up virtual terminal built on top of a Maverick gateway or something. But you got to be thinking about that software play because... Ultimately, you know, just because these high-risk merchants historically have been underserved in terms of technology, don't think that that's going to continue, right? What's going to happen is, just like every other part of the market, software is going to pop up that's specifically for these companies, and there's going to be integrated payments happening there. So I think we all need to be understanding high-risk, not just because of, hey, we can go sell these high-risk merchants, but also because we need to be thinking about software plays and integration plays and going and saying, who are these ISBs that we can get we can integrate payment processing into that and you know they've got their they've got those medium to high risk merchants and a company like Maverick is well positioned uh, for that so I'm really excited about this high risk stuff uh, I'm going to introduce Ben so Ben if you want to go ahead and get your uh, go ahead and get your mic and camera turned on there um, but again I'll give a little plug for the ebook while he's doing that head over to ccsalespro.com slash high risk um, again just like it sounds all lowercase cc salespro.com slash high-risk. So Ben, great to have you on today, sir.
1: Hey, James. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. So Ben, I thought it'd be great if we could just kind of start out, give everybody a little bit of a history on Maverick. How did you guys end up in this high-risk game? And then maybe share what your role at the company is today.
1: Yeah. So my role is I'm the the chief operating officer um, involved in overseeing the company as a whole. My focus is really around our strategic partners, which include our you know larger ISO partners, ISV partners, um, sponsor banks, and then I'm heavily involved with our technology and product team, and underwriting and risk teams. Um, we I, I've been in the industry around twelve years, started really on the sales side, um, and er, early on got into higher risk merchants, and that's when we had realized the process you know with a lot of the processors at the time. It's it's clunky. There's a lot of friction. It's antiquated, right? And as you saw, companies like Stripe entering the space, there was a big pivot to you know uh, digital onboarding, this whole frictionless experience. Um, and that's when we decided to kind of change our direction um, and went into you know what we refer to as an FSP, full service provider, where we do everything in house, underwriting risk, compliance, support. Um, And the focus for us was really building out kind of the infrastructure and the technology for sales organizations, Um, bringing this kind of fresh new platform um, to these markets that a lot of the times are underserved um, and, you know, just bring this, this technology that they need, especially as you get into the card not present environment with, you know, gateway fraud tools, chargeback management, things of that nature.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, for our audience that uh, there's like a third of them here that haven't sold hardly any high risk, right? So what is this risk? So we talk about a medium risk or high risk merchant. What are these types of risk as, as Maverick views it?
1: Yeah. So we kind of look at it in three ways. You have merchants that have financial chargeback kind of risk. Um, the second one would be uh, regulatory compliance risk. And the third would be reputational risk. Um, Chargeback risk and financial risk is is exactly how it sounds. It's a merchant gets a chargeback when that um, offsetting debit goes to their bank account. And if that returns for insufficient funds, bank account closed, things of that nature, it returns ultimately to us. So we're on the hook for all of their chargebacks if they can't cover it financially. Um, Second would be Um, you know, the the regulatory kind of compliance heavy businesses, maybe these don't have chargebacks, but it's something like fantasy sports or CBD, where there's a lot of regulatory requirements, there's a lot of card brand requirements, and just the the pure overhead aspect of supporting them to make sure they're compliant, and they meet all the kind of applicable rules, has a tremendous amount of risk. And if you miss, you know, some checks, you know, on on your due diligence or whatever the case is, there's non-compliance assessments, things like that, which, you know, bring in a lot of risk just to to kind of scrutinize it correctly and get, right. you know, the account compliant for all the rules. The third is, you know, reputational. And it it's it's the um, kind of the perception of when you work with certain industries that maybe regulators scrutinize, you know, being associated with such industries, just you know, it, it could make your reputation look a little bit more poor. And, you know, some banks are really sensitive to that, especially when, um, you know, you look at certain industries that maybe the FDA will target like health products, um, mm-hmm. things like that. So it, it's kind of broken into three categories. And depending on what the risk is, kind of pivots how we approach the account, both up front, you know, underwriting and due diligence, and then kind of the ongoing risk monitoring. Got it.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, one thing I think would help our audience a little bit to visualize that, again, that aren't as familiar when we talk about, let's talk about financial risk for one more second. Can you give our audience like a a worst case scenario type thing? Like what's an example of a merchant, whether it's yours or somebody else's where, whether it doesn't, maybe a specific example, maybe not, but what's an example of where it's like, you know, there's a big loss, there's an actual like huge financial loss as a result of, of choosing to do payment processing for a particular company.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, unfortunately, with COVID, there was a huge kind of increase in that activity. Uh, For example, we saw some airlines that, you know, they were taking payments up front. Um, You know, maybe they weren't fulfilling the the service for six months or nine months. And what that does is it, you know, increases this kind of deferred liability, right, Right. that we're in the middle of. And um, with COVID, they went bankrupt. And they had, you know, a tremendous amount of outstanding tickets that they charged for, never delivered. Um, You know, when people want their money back, they can't get a hold of the business. They just charge it back with their bank. Um, And, you know, bank accounts closed, things like that. It just overnight, you can see a tremendous amount of ACH returns from all of those chargebacks that are, you know, rejecting from the merchant's bank account. Um, And you see that too with you know, um, events, right, concerts, things like that, furniture. So anytime you have that future delivery aspect, where you have this now deferred liability of this kind of extended chargeback window, um, it just it, it greatly skews the chargeback exposure that the processor is ultimately on the hook, you know, for.
0: Right. Okay. So, so what do you do? What does Maverick do to mitigate this risk? Let's start with the financial risk, right? You've got, you know, potentially a bunch of chargebacks. You could have all this financial risk. Now you don't, you don't know upfront when you're boarding the account, exactly what is going to happen with this particular merchant account. So you're building out a portfolio of high-risk merchants. What do you do to manage that risk and mitigate that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you know, various things, right? You can have, reserves so we're diverting you know 5 10 15% of the sales into a reserve account which we can use to offset any ACH returns um, you look at how long the business has been around previous history financials if there's personal guarantors maybe it's owned by another entity and it's a subsidiary of some sort you have cross corporate guarantees with travel you know sometimes funds are held in an escrow account um, there's insurance for business continuity So it really ranges on, Mm. you know, what we can do to ultimately mitigate our risk. Um, The most common thing you're going to see is the reserve because it's the easiest to implement as a processor because you're in control. And then in the event, you know, you have ACH returns, you can immediately essentially offset that from that reserve account.
0: And maybe explain that a little bit more. How exactly would a reserve account work? Let's say uh, for a normal high risk merchant.
1: So, uh, common is five or ten percent reserve, and how it works is if it's ten percent, for example, ten uh, percent of their batches uh, get diverted into an, a reserve account, it's like an escrow account, um, and it's held with the sponsor bank, and then it's used strictly for risk mitigation purposes. So, in the event you have a scenario that the merchant has, you know, rejected, you know, fees, chargebacks, whatever it is. Right. Um, and the processor is in a lost position, they can use the reserve you know strictly to offset that essentially debt now that the merchant has um accrued. Got it,
0: okay. um so you know one other thing about that, talk about the pricing a little bit, right? so what why why and how is the pricing different for these higher risk merchant accounts than you know low risk account?
1: yeah, um, so the pricing is significantly different. Um, it's different because, you know, the pricing is going to kind of run parallel with the risk. So for us, you know, not only do we have the risk we're shouldering, whether it's the financial um, chargeback risk, but also the overhead to support it. So, you know, it's kind of a risk versus reward scenario. Um, And, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's very limited options for certain businesses. And the reason is, a lot of the times it's just, it's, it's either too much risk to take on. There's a lot of unknowns, right? Like you were asking, like, what's what worst case scenario, you can't predict every um, right. loss or, or some or issue that happens. Um, and then just the ongoing monitoring um, and management of the accounts, you know, requires a tremendous amount of underwriting uh, analyst, risk analyst, compliance analyst. So it's, it's significantly different. Um, I would say it's, you know, usually probably five to 10 times greater. So if you see a restaurant at, you know, interchange in 10 or 20 basis points, you're going to see high risk at interchange in a hundred basis points, 200 basis points, things like right. that.
0: Yeah. And it, it was so interesting, even working on this ebook with you guys, I've just, I never quite appreciated the, the cost associated with servicing the accounts. Right. And I think, I think for the agents, a lot of times they wouldn't even understand because they, you know an agent maybe that's used to a higher split, for instance, you know, on the, on the low risk side. And they don't understand that there's this hard cost that the processor, like a Maverick has to recoup just to deal with a merchant like this. that has so many yeah. chargebacks and all that. And I would imagine you guys have a pretty, pretty, you know, sophisticated modeling and financial modeling that you've had to do over the years to kind of project, okay, this is how large they are. This is how many chargebacks they get you know, or compliance issues or whatever to, to figure out that pricing. But I would, I'd imagine that's a, a rather complex thing.
1: Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. There's a lot of back end, you know, functions on our end we're having to do with the card brands, you know, if the merchant hits a chargeback program or a fraud program, um, registered businesses like Card Not Present, Tobacco and pharmacies and mm-hmm. um, fantasy sports. There's a lot of behind the scenes, um, you know, obligations we have just to support these businesses. Um yeah. So yeah, that greatly impacts, you know, the, the agent and reseller kind of schedule a items with buy rates and rev shares like that. So
0: now, so as we shift back over to, let's say like reputational risk. So we have these different business types where, you know, maybe not every sponsor bank is willing to take this particular merchant account. How do you handle that? And what have you done to kind of streamline the process of being able to, to go after and resell to those merchant types?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting because a lot of the times reputational risk can be personal opinion. So you can work with a sponsor bank or even a processor that they have a personal issue with a certain industry. And it could be obviously for a variety of reasons. Um, So for us, you know, what we've done just to have some level of redundancy, too, is we have multiple sponsor banks. So that gives us a little bit more flexibility in the businesses we can support. You know, not all banks are the same. We might have a bank who takes one industry, and another bank will prohibit that. So, when you're dealing with reputational risk, you know, it could be that the bank gets concerned that the FDA has scrutinized, you know, vape and tobacco products, and then another bank might not really have such concern because they might be like, "Well, it's more perceived risk. There's not actually a lot of risk for us. These have low chargebacks, right. uh, You know, non-delivery exposure, etc." So it. it it varies because it's more of a personal opinion. I think that influences that. Mm-hmm. But for us, we've you know brought on multiple sponsor banks, so we have that redundancy, and we have options at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, one of the things I think is interesting about what you guys have done, <clears throat> in my opinion, is you know in speaking to a lot of NISOs that do high risk, many times that is the big challenge, right? Because they have all these different sponsor banks, and then for each of these relationships, they have different agreements different processes, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like with you guys, it seems like a big part of your strategy was to kind of bring all that under one roof and into one system. So it's the same boarding process, the same application and all of that. Is, that. is that something you guys have, have spent a lot of time kind of developing? It seems like that's a, a big differentiator for you.
1: Yeah, it's been huge. And, and like I mentioned early on, when we started out and we were more focused on sales, that was always something that drove me crazy, right? Is you're spending a lot of time doing these administrative things then you want to go out and be selling. So you're dealing with data entry, working all these different apps and portals. So in our system, there's one digital application. Um, It has multiple sponsor banks and it really streamlines the process. We also have, you know, our own digital signature. Um, Our agents are able to work directly with our underwriting team. So it cuts out a lot of middleman kind of miscommunication or whatever it is. Um, The goal is, you know, for the agents to, um, work very efficiently and have a streamlined process so that the merchant also doesn't shop around. Um, they're only going to have so much patience dealing with this process. And because there is more underwriting, you don't want to waste time and you don't want to have a tremendous amount of back and forth where everyone gets frustrated with the process.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So let's shift gears again a little bit. I want to, I want to talk about, uh, sales and marketing. So, you know, we understand the high risk side. How do we take advantage of the market? While before we dive into those questions, though, two things I want to just tell our audience real quick: if you already have a question from what we've discussed so far, the more technical parts of high risk, just put that in the Q and A app. So down there, if you click on Q and A, you can go ahead and type your question out. Now we're going to get to the the Q and A next, but we got a couple of other questions I want to run through. Also, if you didn't do so already, make sure and stop right now and go over to ccsalespro. dot slash high risk, all lowercase. ccsalespro.com dot slash high risk. That's the uh, ebook that we wrote on all the things. So, you know, what Ben and I just described in like, I don't know, 12 or 15 minutes, that's not nearly enough time to dive into all of this. So definitely check that ebook out. So having said that, you know, Ben, let's transition to sales and marketing. Talk first about verticals. Can you give us your take on, you know, if you were an ISO or an agent, you were just getting into high risk, you really want to put a focus on it, but you wanted to sink your teeth into maybe one or two verticals. Um, What are the ones that are near the top of your list that you think that they should be considering right now?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, we've seen a, a, a spike in emerging markets, right? So there's been kind of an influx of CBD businesses, of fantasy sports, of these, these newer industries that either were prohibited or were in kind of this different category of gaming related, gambling related, and they've opened up quite a bit. So we've seen an influx of these emerging markets and those are two great examples, um, and, you know, the, the, the feedback we always have is with high risk, it's a very different beast compared to low risk. There's a lot more upfront underwriting, so it's not going to get auto-approved. You have right. to get you know, a lot of supporting documentation. Um, but the nice thing is the retention is extremely high, right? There's mm-hmm. limited options out there. And high risk merchants generally know how valuable it is to have a stable processor. And they'll see, you know, a lot of the times they'll go to a low risk processor, or maybe a payment facilitator, get auto approved, maybe they're prohibited, their funds get frozen. So it's worth, you know, for them to go through that, um, you know, more kind of time consuming upfront process of due diligence, because on the back end, once they're actually processing, they know it's more of a stable solution. So that's always our advice is, you know, you have to Really follow kind of the underwriting guidelines. You don't want want to cut any corners because it can cause risk issues down the road. Um, and when the agents understand kind of the industries and the specifics that come with it, because there's great differences in the underwriting requirements for CBD versus fantasy sports, right? Same with tobacco versus pharmacies. Um, they they really appreciate it, and we've had you know a lot of great merchants and partners um you know you know spend the time with us to kind of do it the right way and you know sometimes you have to get legal opinion letters or remediation plans if there's historical chargeback issues so it's right. it's more of a case by case scenario um but once the merchants are up and processing it it's kind of you know well worth it
0: yeah sure so what about when you when you think about the isos that you have now that are really successful the ones that have built medium high risk portfolios um, and they're, they're making money. They have a stable portfolio at this point. What are best practices, especially in terms of the sales and marketing aspect of it? What are they doing right that the rest of our audience should copy?
1: I think um, what they've done well is understand and trained um, sub agents, especially if they have distribution, they understand kind of the dynamic aspect of different industries requiring different, you know, underwriting packages and files. Um, it's not kind of a uh, you know, shotgun approach where you can just approach every single high risk industry the same. Um, so it takes time, especially if you're not mm. familiar with high-risk industries. Like you said, it's best to usually start with one or two. Um, maybe they're ones you've already come across. We've seen a lot in right. the CBD market, for example, because there's so much brick and mortar popping up. Right. And a lot of our lower risk agents have kind of dipped their toe in that market. Um, And then you understand, you know, what the underwriting process kind of looks like. And a lot of the times documents are the same, especially when you're dealing with higher volume accounts, there might be, you know, three, four different items that are more industry specific, right? Um, But it's really just taking the time to understand, um, you know, the specifics of each market and ensuring, you know, upfront, you set expectations, everyone's on the same page, and that the process is smooth to get them onboarded.
0: Yeah. You know, one of my favorite examples of this, Ben, is, um, you know, I, I like to tell agents and ISOs that selling low risk is like being a car salesman and selling high risk is like being uh, a real, you know, selling real estate, you know, real estate agent. Right? It's like it's a like,
1: consultant. you like, you have to, yeah. you know, really work a, alongside the merchant. And it's, yeah, it's a completely different. Right. Uh, and, it, and it's
0: like the, and it's like the underwriting and everything. You know what I mean? It's like the, the paperwork necessary to buy a car. It's like, well, yeah, you got to do some stuff. You know what I mean? But then it's like yeah. buy a house. <laughs> well, there's going to be a bit more right, involved in that, but yeah. it's a, it's a much bigger sale. You know, you're really excited no, exactly. in, as a real estate agent. When you close that on that half a million dollar property that somebody buys, your commission is going to be fantastic. I think in that same way, it's like the low risk, you know, uh, should be a more of a streamlined you know process. It's auto approvals, all those kinds of things. Obviously still the complication of integrated payments and all that. When you get into high risk, it's just, it's a different animal and you just have to approach it. Uh, I love what you said too, about it's like, you got to approach each vertical and figure out because as you become a real expert in that particular vertical, it's just going to give you so much insight and each, each you know merchant that you sell in that vertical, it's going to get easier and easier, both from a networking perspective, but also just from you presenting yourself as an expert. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's switch gears again. Now I got to talk about Maverick. So uh, I have a couple of questions I wrote down here, because I love what you guys have built over there. I want to talk about these challenges. So we we already kind of discussed a little bit of the the challenge of like multiple sponsor banks and bring it all under one roof. But let's talk about technology for a minute. So talk specifically about what Maverick is providing to resellers who are building, well, high risk or low risk portfolios. What does that tech stack look like today for the eyesore agent that's reselling?
1: Yeah, so our goal has been to build kind of this um, white label turnkey platform for sales organizations. So you can go to market in a matter of days, kind of under your brand, um, and it's scalable. So you can, you know, increase your distribution, which to us is bringing on sub agents, you can white label downstream, you don't have to work um, a lot on data entry, things like that, because our digital application is extremely integrated, we have our own eSign sign. You can even cut costs because you're not having to pay for third-party signatures with DocuSign or license fees. Um, and then we have, you know, additional tools in there. We have our own payment gateway. We have an ACH platform. Our white label stack comes with a whole API document, so you can go to enterprise merchants and support that. You can even bring on ISVs. Um, so our focus has been, you know, when you look at the stripes of the world and their technology. To bring something equivalent to your traditional ISO market and then have the ability to support, you know, these emerging markets and these higher risk industries, Um, because historically, especially with high risk, you don't see these processors looking to differentiate themselves, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. they think because they're taking the business on in the first place, they don't need to. But for us, you know, the technology, the streamlined um, onboarding, all the tools, the value add is extremely important. And we've seen you know, just tremendous opportunities by having our own gateway, um, by having the white label. We've seen resellers bring on 200 sub agents and just increase their distribution. And now they're starting to come across industries they would have never seen before right. because they have this you know, web of, of resellers and outside agents beneath them. They can also scale. Um, so the technology has been this turnkey kind of scalable platform, really for ISOs and ISVs.
0: I love it. Um, one other question I had for you, and it's interesting. I, I I thought about whether or not to put this one in there because like it seems a little off topic, but I want to talk about low risk accounts for a minute. And but the reason I want to talk about it is because I think a lot of um, agents and ISOs in the in the space they don't understand the relationship between. The low risk and high risk accounts and how to balance portfolios so i was hoping that you could educate us a little bit give us the the rationale and the importance of balancing high risk with low risk and why that matters and then maybe also you could touch on how that impacts mavericks strategy and go to market with the iso and agent model
1: yeah so um as an fsp we have our own bins and what that means is with the card brands we have essentially unique identifiers or Maverick, so that means we have kind of the complete control with underwriting risk and, and other functions. But the um, you know, challenge, I guess you can call it, is that we have to balance out the portfolio, you have to balance it from chargeback levels, fraud levels, uh, merchant category, um, concentration, so business types. So, to us, what that means is your lower risk businesses, they drive a lot of kind of secondary value because they give us this blend and kind of this offset. So we have extremely aggressive programs for low risk. And a lot of the times, you know, I think agents are like, hey, it sounds too good to be true. And, you know, they're comparing us to a larger low risk processor. And the 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 reason we can do it is because we have this high risk kind of offset. Um, so the low risk is extremely important. Um Agents out there that do a lot of high risk, they tend to also diversify with low risk, which is great because it's more scalable, it's more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, for us, that low risk drives just a tremendous amount of kind of secondary value because we have to balance out the portfolios.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And so I think maybe even more specifically, if I tell me if I'm getting this right, but like as an example, when you're tra- looking at a portfolio under a bin there may be a certain percentage of transactions that could be charged back. Is that, yeah. is that like an example of a metric where if it's, if it's purely high risk, that percentage can get so high that it's not sustainable with that portfolio, but you add those low risk accounts in and it can bring that number into line. Like, are there any other metrics like that that maybe our audience could kind of visualize a little bit of that, the importance of that balance? Yeah, I mean,
1: it, it, there, it varies. So Visa, they have something called vamp. It's their acquire monitoring program. And they require the acquiring banks to have chargeback and fraud levels um, under certain percentages. So as you have acquiring banks that you know accept high risk, they need to balance out the ISOs they have and the FSPs and the bins. So for us, yes, you you know usually you're looking at chargebacks need to be below 30 basis points. Um, if you look at VAMP, which is focused just on card not present, it should be under probably 50 or 60 basis points. Usually the blend. Is like an 80 20. So we should have 80% low risk, um, mm-hmm. only 20% high risk. Uh, the card brands, you know, put a lot of focus around registered businesses, which are things like car not present tobacco, pharmacies, gaming, dating, um, you know, businesses that generally draw on more regulatory requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have more oversight. So there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and for us, you know, the important thing has been to try to get as much low risk as we can, because when you do, it kind of, you know, checks a lot of these boxes, whether it's the chargeback levels, the fraud levels, the MCC blend, um, you know, things like that.
0: Yeah. Love it. Okay. Well, this has been super insightful. So let's pause for one second here because we're going to get to Q&A. So if you have a question, um, all you need to do is just type it out in the question box. Uh, There's again, there's a little Q&A tab down there. Just type out your question. And uh, we will do our best to run through those while you're typing your question out. Um, if you have not done this already, I'm going to put it in the chat here for everybody, but let's make sure, let's see here. I'm going to put this in. So everybody can click on this link. If you haven't done so already, it is ccsalesprocom slash high risk. And let's see, let's put this out to everybody. Okay. So again, ccsalespro.com salespro.com slash high risk. Andy, you're very welcome uh for the training today. Um, got it. All right, here we go. So again, cc salespro.com slash high risk. Please do that because again, um <laughs> for no other reason, because this took a long time to write. <laughs> so I would really love it if a bunch of people actually read this thing because it took quite a while. And, and the Maverick team spent a lot of time working with me on it as well. So it's a, it's a really good resource. When you're going to want to have available to you, just save it on your desktop. next time you are going to across a high risk merchant, uh, you can flip through it and you'll find some good information there. All right, here we go. Q and a, so let's see here, Ben, we'll just kind of back and forth and we'll see what questions we get. So, um, do you do a three to four day delayed funding instead of reserves in the right scenario? Do you ever play around with delayed funding in high risk accounts?
1: Yeah. So what that gives us is the ability um, to, to monitor the account more closely, right? So if they're on next day funding versus two or three day funding, our risk team has a few more days to monitor transactions, refunds, things like that uh, before the merchant gets deposits and you know settled funds. So if they're on next day funding and we notice an issue and we need to, you know, put the account on hold, the money might already have been deposited. So definitely delayed funding um, is an alternative. It's usually good, though, for accounts that don't carry a tremendous amount of chargeback exposure. Maybe there's just some questionable items during underwriting uh, and you want to monitor it. Um, If you have, you know, loss scenarios, things like that, delayed funding isn't going to help, you know, uh, as much as a reserve.
0: Got it. Um, this next one is a really good question. I love it because it really gets at the heart of, of financial risk. So let's be really clear. The, the question is when a, they're rejected ACH from the bank, uh, from the merchant account, who is really losing money? So, so let's get really specific here, Ben. So there is a merchant account, let's say an ISO that, that works with you, a retail ISO. They're not a wholesale ISO. So retail ISO comes to you. They bring you a high risk account, this high risk account. Ends up, they got a bunch of chargebacks, they go out of business, and the ACHs are rejected. Who actually is losing that
1: money? So we're the ones covering it. Um, The rejects hit a dedicated returns account at each sponsor bank we have set up, and there's kind of that negative float period. And we either offset that from the reserve, which is why I mentioned it's kind of like the best option for us, because it gives us immediate cure. Um, or we have to go chase the merchant and redebit them. But as return as ACH returns and rejects come in, they do po- post <clears throat> to a dedicated returns account at our sponsor bank. And unfortunately, you know, as as being an FSP, we have to float that and cover it because it's a standard, you know, Maverick account essentially.
0: Right. So they're a full service provider, which is FSP. So yeah. So that that's and that's important. I think people just a lot of times don't understand that. It kind of feels like a little bit you know, disconnected, like, oh yeah, this money, somebody's losing it. No, like <laughs> the Maverick would lose this money, right? So that's why there's yeah. there's this additional attention being paid to underwriting and and compliance and all of these different things. Um, What about Delta and THC? Are there any merchant types along those lines that you guys mess with?
1: So in the CBD category, you know, everything has to be compliant per the farm bill. And uh, 2018 farm bill has, uh, you know, THC requirements, 0.3%. Right. So- um, Delta 8 can mean a few things because you have Delta 8, Delta 9. Um, we look really at the certificate of analysis from the testing labs to see, um, you know, dispensaries, marijuana, things like that, because it's federally illegal. The card brands prohibit it, and that's nothing we can support at the time. Everything, you know, in the kind of hemp CBD space has to be compliant with the farm bill.
0: Right. Right. Um, Talk about pricing structures a little bit. uh, Ray's asking this question about, you know, do you use, uh, do do most people price in their change plus? Do they price flat rate or tiered with these high risk accounts? What's your opinion on on the pricing structures?
1: You know, we see both. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion because I've seen, you know, higher volume accounts that, yes, maybe because they're fantasy sports, they're high risk, but they run very clean and they have a very, you know, kind of robust compliance program. And they prefer to be on flat rate pricing because it's easier for them, you know, to understand what their fees are every month. It's just going to be higher than your standard, like flat rate you would see with Square. Right. Uh, some like the benefit of, you know, Interchange Plus because as interchange costs go down for certain transactions, they benefit. So I don't have a strong opinion. We see a mix of everything, Interchange Plus tiered, you know, two tier, three tier and flat rate. Yeah. Um, uh, I like to be flexible there because I think it's kind of a personal opinion. Sure. Got it.
0: Um, So here's another good question. I'm gonna try to rephrase this a little bit from Travis to make it a little more generally applicable, but it's the idea of, you know, isn't it a, these high risk merchants for them to go and and a lot of times they'll, they'll want to go and test out a, a square or one of these other low risk processors where, you know, they're like, oh, I can get this account for 2.75% flat rate. And so, you know, it ends up being that they're not being totally honest. You know, we see that with ISOs and agents as well, where they'll try to they'll try to get a high risk account into a low risk program. Um, what are some of the ramifications for that? And why is that such a bad idea?
1: I think it's spot on. Uh, We see it, unfortunately, where a merchant will come to us, you know, and we'll require documentation or a reserve, something like that. And, you know, they don't understand, obviously, the acquiring um, ins and outs and the risks, right? So they continue to shop around. Maybe they'll get auto approved with Stripe or they'll end up with a larger processor. Um, And then a month later or a week later when they first, you know, they put through their first batch or whatever it is the processor will do a look back and they'll start reviewing the account and realize it's either prohibited or whatever the case is. Yeah. And a lot of the times there is a knee-jerk reaction and they could get put on match. And we've had yeah. several scenarios where we'll have a merchant come in, you know, they won't agree with what we need. They'll go somewhere else, get auto-approved, get terminated, and then they'll come back to us. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately it, it happens a lot.
0: Yeah. And, and for those who don't know the match, when you talk about that, there, there's a what to call the match list where like once you get on that list, you are not allowed to open a processing account. And there is they, so a whole legal process you have to go through to get off of the match list uh, that is very expensive and time consuming and extremely annoying. Um, so that's that's a problem. And that, that can happen when you go to a low risk provider and you you just don't go through the the correct underwriting process. They approve you, you process transactions, and then it turns out that your your merchant app was fraudulent. So that's a that's a really big problem. Um, here's a question. I don't know the answer to, but I never heard of this one before. Um, so when we define like a high risk merchant, you know, there's always this like high risk list of merchant types that the processor will give the agent, right? Like don't sell these merchants, these merchant types. Yep. Um, do the card brands have anything like that? Is, is there kind of a standardized, like here are the high risk merchants, or is that more of a, just more of a per sponsor bank kind of thing? Or how, how does that work?
1: Yeah. So the card brands, um, they have high risk registered merchant types. That's what they consider high risk. So those are card not present tobacco pharmacies, adult dating, um, negative option, trial billing, fantasy sports, game of skill, um, things like that. So usually they're industries that have a lot of regulatory oversight. Um, That's what they consider high risk. Um, and those are uh, have to get registered. There's an upfront fee. It's annual. It's the same for everybody. Um, so in terms of consistency across sponsor banks, every bank follows that same list because it's directly from the card brands, and they do vary a little bit. Visa requires registration on negative option billing, for example, on both digital goods and physical products. Whereas what, what, what card, is that?
0: What's what's negative option billing?
1: Free trial. Right. And there's been FTC issues because, you know, a lot of times consumers don't realize the 4.95 dollars they're paying for up front is going to automatically charge them again in two weeks if they don't cancel. Um, So it's a deceptive marketing concern, right, is making sure they're complying with uh, the FTC's rules. Um, So that's consistent across the board. Those are card brand rules. Um, What varies is per sponsor bank, and that's more of a restricted list. So those would be things that are travel multi-level marketing credit repair cbd products that the card brands don't you know consider high risk but the acquiring banks will based on you know their compliance department things like that um and it can greatly vary you know obviously you can work with a bank who's very conservative and low risk and their Mm -hmm. their restricted list and prohibited list is you know 20 pages and then you can work with another bank that their prohibited list is Pretty short. They focus on, you know, the registered business types, and then, um, you know, things that have the higher risk characteristics, like CBD, travel, multi-level marketing, um, paraphernalia, and smoking-related products, things like that. So it 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 it's kind of three different lists, if you will. It's card brand restricted per bank, and then also the prohibited per, per bank can fluctuate.
0: Interesting. Very interesting, actually. I didn't know all of that. That's really cool. Um, another question here from Andre uh is do you have situations where you have a merchant, you board them with a particular sponsor bank, and then maybe after a year or two, that sponsor bank now says, Oh yeah, we don't really want that those merchants anymore. Yeah. Do, do you have those situations where because you have the multiple sponsor banks, you're able to kind of flip them around if you need to?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately it's happened where you know a bank will um will put a pilot program together and test out a new industry. And after, you know, maybe six months, 12 months, it's just not worth it or something happens. Um, If we have another bank that accepts that industry, we can easily uh, re-board them. Um, So there's very, you know, limited downtime, if any. Um, And that's, you know, the purpose of us having multiple sponsored banks is things change. Um, You know, banks will go through a re-or. Their committee or their compliance department will change you know, their risk tolerance, something will happen with a regulator. So, um, definitely.
0: Okay. Um, let's see here. So, um, can you give any other specifics on compensation? Obviously we can't share specific like residual splits, that's all negotiated, but, um, what would an individual agent expect as far as, you know, low risk versus high risk? Can you talk about maybe just the broadly, like what the differences are in compensation there?
1: Yeah, the buy rates um, fluctuate a little bit, you know, so we'll obviously get more aggressive with off capture, um, AVS, batch, monthly fees, things like that on low risk versus high. And then the split itself will also differ. So, you know, you might see 80 to 90% in low risk, whereas in high risk, you might see 50, 60, 70. Um, It does tier um, because every business has kind of different risk categories. So you can't really have a catch all um, right. but there is, you know, a pretty significant dis- difference just because if you have a restaurant, for example, in a low risk, you know, Schedule A, it has a insane amount, um, of 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 same, um, crazy amount of of risk differences, if you will, than a travel business that's card not present that, um, you know, has chargeback issues or maybe they're not willing to sign a personal guarantee, so. That's where you would see the change in the revenue share and the buy rates is just because there's such a a great difference in in risk profiles.
0: Right, right, got it. Um, you know, I think I know the answer. To this, so I'll ask it anyway. But was saying, can you write a merchant that's uh, on the match list? I mean,
1: so technically you can. Um, really? So match is a it's a database with Mastercard. Mastercard has very clear. Criteria, violation of standards, excessive chargebacks, excessive fraud, um, data compromise, things like that. And there, it, it's not, it's not a blacklist in a way that if it's on match you can't touch it. It's if it's on match, it triggers a very complex kind of enhanced due diligence that we're mm-hmm. obligated to do because it will require some level of oversight, most likely from the card brands, or it's already been hmm. you know, something that they've reviewed. And obviously there was an issue that resulted in them getting put on match. Um, there's also times where a merchant will be put on match incorrectly. So they'll be put right. on match for excessive chargebacks where technically they didn't meet MasterCard's criteria for chargebacks. And we've seen this happen where hmm. a merchant had one visa chargeback, no mastercard chargebacks, but maybe it was $10,000 and it skewed their ratio to 20% and they were put on match, but that technically should not have happened because they didn't meet the mastercard criteria. So, it depends um essentially matches it's it's an alert system for high risk merchants that have had previous issues and most, you know, processors stay away from them. It's it's uncommon for us to take someone on match. It's happened, but it just, it requires a lot of extra due diligence uh, to make sure it makes sense.
0: Hmm. Well, here's a a really good question. That's a little bit off topic or off what we've been talking about here, uh, the details. So what about prospecting? Um, Anything other than, you know, the trade shows, that sort of thing? Are there other uh, ways that you've seen ISOs effectively go after certain high-risk verticals?
1: Uh, There's been an uptick with, I think you mentioned early on, kind of like the ISV aspect. So referral partnerships. Yep. And we've seen, um, you know, with fantasy sports, for example, there's a lot of compliance requirements with geofencing um, in different states. The cardholders are based out of that is aligned with their licensing, for example, or the ID verification. So we've had a lot of partners um, have these relationships with these third party vendors that turn into really good referral partners. Hmm. Uh, you know, high risk, it's, it's a much smaller market um and usually those kinds of relationships pay off um so that's something we've seen a very large increase in is is just these kind of vendors they're working with um that are servicing the same business type you know they're just providing them a different service and it's a great you know lead source
0: hmm. well we got a couple minutes left and we have a ton of other questions i'm just kind of looking through to see if any of these other ones are interesting um uh, because a couple of them I'll throw out there real quick. We'll do some rapid fire here. Have you seen any uh, anybody taking advantage of a dual pricing or differential pricing with these higher risk accounts? Is that a thing or is that not something that's been popular there?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had, um, you know, more, I would say in the brick and mortar environment, but we've had merchants, you know, CBD brick and mortar stores that have taken advantage of dual pricing for sure.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, what about surcharging, compliant surcharging?
1: Yeah, I've we've seen it with B two B merchants that you know maybe are wholesaling um, smoking accessories or things like that that are high risk because of the products they sell. Um, and definitely, it's it's oh. not you know um, off the table just because of the market. It's just you know there's a that's a kind of another thing that we have to address to make sure it's compliant. But um, a merchant being high risk has no like negative impact with their ability to use other programs like that.
0: Got it. Uh, let's see here. Um, here's a good one. Um, we'll do this one, and I'll do one more. And again, I will do my best to get all. I we just started using Zoom for the webinar, so I'm a little new to it. But I'm gonna do my best to send all these questions over to the Maverick team. If if uh, I don't know the answer to yeah, it, there's a
1: lot of good ones. I see them too.
0: Yeah, there really isn't good ones. The last one I'm gonna ask here. I we'll do two more. The the one here is, um, we talked about this the other day, Ben. We talk about a merchant that has a subscription business. They're already using Auth.net, Stripe, whatever it is is it possible to bring them over to Maverick and, and be able to save that customer data so they can continue billing them on a recurring basis?
1: Yeah, so there's two common scenarios. Uh, one would be if they're using something like authorized.net, the merchant can do a processor change, right? So we can approve them, they get a VAR sheet from Maverick, they call authorized.net, they swap out the old processor's information in mid with ours, um, and it's very seamless. We've had merchants also that do data migrations um, we just did one actually a few days ago where we had a merchant using a CRM, managing all their subscription billing. Uh, we worked with them or our, our dev team worked with them to do a data migration. And we were able to take all the cards and put them into our vault. So it's very doable. It's more case by case. Cause it depends on what system they're migrating off of, but it, it happens a lot. Wow.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, Okay. We're going to end it there with the one last thing. And was somebody asked the question of how do I become a Maverick agent? So there's a good one to end with. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, obviously again, if you go to ccsalespro.com slash high risk, download this ebook, you, you know, that information there, if you have a little box checked, it will send your information over to Maverick so they can follow up. But if somebody just wants to reach out directly and they want to talk to Maverick about working together, how would they do that, Ben?
1: Um, sales at Maverick HQ, um, as in headquarters is a great email. Um, and that, you know, is a distribution list. It's a few people on our team. So sales at MaverickHQ.com. Um, but I were, would urge everyone to get that ebook because like James said, we spent a lot of time on it. it has a lot of good information. We try to dumb things down a lot just to make it easy to understand, um, but it has a lot of good information as well to give you kind of the knowledge to understand the different elements of high risk.
0: Love it. Well, uh, Ben, it is always such a pleasure. And again, for those of you that have a bunch of other questions, I do apologize. I know there's some other chat questions and things like that. I'll do my best to get those back to uh, the Maverick team and we'll do our best to respond. But thank you everybody so much for your time, Ben. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today.
1: Thank you, James.
0: All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.
1: Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing
0: executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time.